Look with me to James chapter 1. And we're going to talk about, you know, solutions for relational problems, wisdom for relational problems. And this is good. This one is about your mouth, M-O-U-T-H, your mouth. I call it muzzle your mouth. James chapter 1, verse 9. Here's what the old boy James says. My dearest, 19, my dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Be quick to listen. That's for us men. Be slow to speak. That would include a lot of males. And be slow to become angry. I guess men, we're in all of those. We need to be that. Life can get messy and complicated, full of problems, right? And oftentimes, maybe we're not quite sure how to solve them. Maybe where to go for the right answer. So there's no shortage of people who have advice for you. I remember an old mentor of mine used to say, Rick, please, always remember, God loves you, and everybody else has a wonderful plan for your life. I thought, boy, is that true. So where do you go for wisdom to solve life's problems, relational problems? You go to Oprah, your mama, Siri, Google. Well, let me pitch another name, James. So we're going to meet our friend James today, and he had a famous brother named Jesus. And James wrote a little book, and he offered up some wisdom on everyday problems, how to deal with your anger, managing your mouth, cleaning up relational messes. And I guarantee you, it's better advice than Siri. So let's take a look. Now, we all want to be happy. We even pay to be happy. But we all know that, although we don't like it, suffering and hard times can shape us in much deeper ways than just pleasure or happiness can. See, there's this great promise in James around perseverance. And this is what he wrote. He said, blessed is the one who perseveres. Keep going. You don't look good. You don't have the full stride, but you're still moving forward. That's perseverance. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having withstood the test, that person will receive the crown of life the Lord has promised to those who love him. That's James 1, verse 12. Perseverance. Everybody has the same problems, but most people drop out. But you got to keep going even when you don't feel good, even when you're not happy, even when it doesn't look right. Keep moving. So today we're going to talk about what you might think of as God's wisdom for human relationship. Now, God knows we need it. One researcher, William Menninger, he found out that about 80% of the time when somebody loses their job, it's not technical incompetence. It's actually relational incompetence, emotional incompetence for either that person or their boss or the culture where they work. So if we just pay attention to what James teaches, then we can largely eliminate that problem. And don't we see all the time this celebrity, this sports star, this politician, somebody said something comes back and costs them a job. It can break up marriages. It can break and destroy relationships. Your big mouth. And I'm in that category too. Another researcher named George uh, James Lynch, excuse me, has discovered that lonely or isolated people actually live shorter lives. That's why God says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. Get your ugly self in here. Get, your, get yourself in a small group. We need people. God says you need community. 
God sets the solitary in families. So God's big about connection. And one of the things going on in our world globally right now are emotional problems, mental problems, and stress. That affects adults. That affects children. The isolation. This is not a good thing. That is not a help. We think separation, wash your hands. If you need to wear a mask, wear a mask. Those precautions, nothing wrong with that. But when you shut people down and cities down and businesses down and schools down, you're doing something that God says is not good. That is not good. We're, we're, We're for taking proper precautions. We're not stupid. But my point is you do not grow and stay healthy when you're isolated. That is not God's will. That's the enemy's will. And you actually live a shorter life. Can you imagine that? So what James instructs us here to do goes a long way towards eliminating isolation and loneliness. And that's a pretty good thing. So if you just do this stuff, I'm going to share in a moment, real simple. There's a really good chance you get to keep your job and you won't die this year. That sounds good to me, right? Also, this is really easy to understand. I don't care if you're young or old, everybody can get this. I promise if you got the IQ of a flower pot, you're going to get this. I promise. When you walk out the door after this message, everybody will remember what these three commands are, and they're all doable. So wherever you are on the personality spectrum, all this stuff you can do. And here's the verse. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be, here we go, three commands, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. So he says, everybody ought to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. So there's one quick, two slows. And if you're not a Bible person and you're a little skeptical, Have you ever known somebody who would have been better off if they'd have kept their mouth shut? Been slower to speak and quicker to listen. One time I was stuck in a waiting room, and there was a woman in there with her eight-year-old son. And we who were waiting for an appointment were trapped for an hour. And no kidding, she did not stop talking for the full hour, even though we desperately wanted her to. She told us about her life, her family, her extended family, about her work. And by the end of that hour, I knew more about this woman than I did my wife. <laughs> we knew, we, amazing. When it was time for her to leave, she just grabbed the eight-year-old kid by the hand, kept talking right out of the room. Well, I have to go now. I have so much to do. I have to go to the grocery store. I have to pick up a button for your father. But she was saying that to her son. And then the son spoke literally the only words he said the whole hour. And he looked at her and says, Mom, you need a button for your mouth. And boy, we all thought the Holy Spirit has inspired this kid because we all wanted to say those words. And I thought so many times over the years, wouldn't it be a great thing if there was such a thing as a mouth button mute? Like everything else startup technology has been able to create, it'd be nice if they could make an app or a button for your mouth. Now, if you wonder why this would be so valuable, the Bible talks about this very thing. This is from the book of Proverbs. That's the book of wisdom. And that's chapter 17, verse 27. Those who are sure of themselves do not talk all the time. People who stay calm have real insight. 
After all, even a fool may be thought wise and intelligent if he stays quiet and keeps his mouth shut. <laughs> wow. Now, this is God talking to us on just human wisdom. I'll bet if you were to ask, does anybody here ever speak too quickly and regret it? Have you ever been in a situation where you said something and you say afterwards, why did I open my mouth? Why did I say something that was insensitive, harsh, inappropriate, deceptive, gossipy, sarcastic, self-promotional, egotistical, or false? Why did I lie? Why did I flatter? What was I thinking? Has anybody here in the mass confession, have you ever in a moment ever spoken too quickly and regretted it later on? Anybody ever done it one time? Thank you. The rest of you are liars because you have (laughs) or you will. Absolutely. Now, let's take the other command. Has anybody ever listened too quickly and then regretted it? Do you ever in a rash moment say, I'm going to really dial in with this person, pay attention, not just to what this person is saying, but what they're feeling underneath that. And then later on say, why did I do that? Why was I so patient? Why was I kind? Why was I so empathetic? Has anybody ever listened too quickly and then regretted it deeply afterward? I don't think so. There's just such great wisdom for human life. You know, you can do this and God will help us all today. We're going to walk through each of these three simple commands and then look at one more passage, one word in a passage that tells us what radically subversive teaching James intends this to be. So here we go. Number one, be slow to speak. Easy? Be slow to speak. If you are an, how many extroverts are in this room? Women, men? This is not a, you're not going to prison. This, this. I'm an extrovert. Yeah, mate. All right. But if you're an extrovert, you hate this command. Be slow to speak. Are you kidding me? Be slow as a talker, translated. That's frustrating if you're an extrovert. You know, sometimes just by a long pause, we communicate. Your wife says, hey, honey, can you do me a favor? Long pause. Yeah. So you communicate a grudging spirit with really slow talking, well, that's not good. Uh, This is not a legalistic command. What it's really saying is allow God to manage your mouth. Just say, God, I want to live my life in surrender to you. And I swear it's the hardest maybe is with my words. So I want you to operate my mouth, control this mouth. You know, he talks about a rudder guiding a giant ship. And the tongue is a little member, and I love this, set on fire of hell. How do you like that? Your doctor ever look at your tongue? I say, oh, my God, I see a lot of hell in there. That's right there in the Bible, folks. Sorry. It's staggering to me. I've been talking about this with some people on the weekend, how often people lack self-awareness about their verbal behavior. People talk, and everybody in the conversation knows they're doing it too much except them, right? So I'll ask all of us just to do a little self-assessment in our conversational lives. I'll give you some helpful signs. You might be speaking too much. If your listener's eyes have glazed over in a dull, vacant, unfocused stare, you might be talking too much. 
If you find yourself physically restraining people to prevent their walking away while you're talking, you're talking too much. Or you're talking right now. It may be you just have a problem with talking too much. Now, some of you older folks in here can remember a group called the Coasters. You talk too much, you worry me to death. You talk too much, right? You just talk, you talk too much. Anybody remember that? You talk about things that you never seen. You talk about, okay, that was a long time ago. Okay, that was back in the 60s. So, you know, you want to do something like occasionally during a conversation, picture a stop sign and just stop. Ask yourself, when is the last time I heard another voice besides mine in this conversation? Am I using the right proportion of airtime? Or this week, practice not interrupting and some of you are chronic, habitual, addictive interrupters. There's somebody who is in a relationship with you. Maybe the person you're married has never known the joy of finishing a sentence for years. Give them a gift. Your challenge this week will be to practice the discipline of not interrupting, of not while they're talking, thinking about what am I going to say as soon as they pause to take a breath. Just actually attending to what they're saying and waiting until they come to a complete stop. Maybe ask this question. Why is it I talk so much? Is it because I'm anxious? Is it because I've got this need to be the center of attention? Is it because I have to try to control other people? Or I have to let people know how smart I am? I've watched famous people, and you have too, be interviewed, and I wanted to watch it, and the interviewer couldn't shut up. And if the person started to answer the question, they got about halfway, halfway through it. For the, he got stepped on by the interviewer. And these bubbleheads, whether it's uh, Fox or CNN or any of the rest of them, they're paid high salaries to get ratings to talk, so they keep talking. And I want to hear what the person they're interviewing has to say. Larry King was the best at doing it and let the person talk. But he's gone. Okay, he's left the building. So too bad, Larry, we miss you. But I, I don't care who it is, whether it's a celebrity, even I've watched it on Christian TV where somebody's being interviewed and they could hardly get a word in about their book or what they were doing because the dumb interviewer was so insecure they had to keep talking so that we would know how smart they were. Stop it. <laughs> Just stop it. Now, this is from the book of Proverbs. Don't talk so much. You keep putting your foot in your mouth. Be sensible and turn off the flow. Woo! Like a hose. Cut it off. Proverbs chapter 10. That's why this command to be slow to speak is about way more than behavioral modification. And part of what it involves is the healing of your soul. You know, like, God, what my words are telling me is there's something going on in my soul and it's afraid and I can't fix it. I need your help. Maybe God wants to heal your soul. This week, surrender your mouth, your words to God. Make, be conscious about it. This week, be slow to speak. Practice it as you drive to work or what are you going to do. Just be slow. You don't have to answer every question. You don't have to get on social media and respond to every drama. Be quiet. Be quiet. Number two, dose. 
I'm bilingual. I just wanted you to know it. <laughs> I barely speak English good. Are you kidding me? Be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. Now, honestly, that's really hard for most people because have you ever thought about it? Listening is an act of humility. Listening is an act of servanthood. When I listen to somebody, I'm putting aside my own agenda. I'm putting aside the chance to show people how much I know. I'm putting aside all the things I could do to try to get my way or manage people's impressions of me. No, I'm just listening. So one of the interesting aspects of the person of God in the Bible is that God is a God who listens. Over and over, the Bible talks about it. This is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, verse 24. This is what God says about his people. Before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. If you think this is an amazing thing about God, God hears every prayer. God listens to every cry. God knows the longing of every heart. God notices every human being. The God of the Bible is a God who hears. Back in Deuteronomy chapter 6, I think it's verse 4, it starts with the word, hear, O Israel. The Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. That word, hear. They call that verse the Shema because that's the first word. The word, hear. See, they, they, they were to orient their lives around hearing what God had to say. Then when Jesus came, the striking thing about Jesus was his capacity to notice people other people wouldn't. Yeah, I'll give you a simple example. Uh, one day a guy came to him, a young guy. He's often called the rich young ruler. He had questions. He says, Master, what do I need to do to be perfect to inherit eternal life? Well, that's obviously rubbish, but that, Jesus took him on. He didn't really like where Jesus was taking him in this conversation. So at one point, this is in the Gospel of Mark, it says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. Quiet, just looked at him and loved him. I wonder what that moment was like. I wonder how often in Jesus' interactions with people, he would just look at people and love them. I think of how often I'll look at something. Maybe you'll, somebody's showing, featuring some new car, and uh, I'll go, wow. Or you'll look at some celebrity mansion or something Well, you're driving, and wow, look at that thing, Wow. But I'm reminded Jesus didn't die for a car or a boat. Jesus didn't die for a house or a mansion. And I think with that man, he didn't do what Jesus wanted him to say. I wonder when he was an old man if he had regret. If that look of Jesus looking at him and loving him stayed with him his whole life long. Who could he have been? What could he have done? What would his legacy have been if he'd have said yes instead of walking away? Think about it. And that look from Jesus would be like looking at your coach after you busted a play and you just no words were expressed but you knew boy I really blew that another thing Jesus did that great listeners do Jesus asked a lot of questions what do you want what can I do for you who do the people say I am who do you say I am what were you guys arguing about he asked his disciples why do you call me good oh you of little faith why did you doubt do you love me? He asked Peter that three times. I don't think it was for the answer or information. I think he was dealing with Peter. Yeah. The first time we see Jesus and hear from him, he's 12 years old, and he's asking his parents a question. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? 
And the last time I hear from Jesus, he's on the cross and he asked that haunting question, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So a lot of think, people think of Jesus as the answer man. In fact, he was more the question man. In the Bible, how many questions do you think Jesus asked? Somebody actually counted. There was a book written not long ago called Jesus is the Question, the 307 questions Jesus asked, and the only three he answered. So Jesus asked questions all the time. Very often he would pose a question and then not even give the people an answer. And part of what that tells us is Jesus would ask questions of tax collectors, prostitutes, fishermen, religious experts, and Gentiles because he was more interested in them than in himself. And kind of life works that way in the kingdom of God. Then I think another reason Jesus would ask so many questions is he understood that a lot of times a good question can trigger your brain into searching a lot more than just getting the right answer. Sometimes in the church, people of faith are so into wanting to make sure we know the right answer and to get other people to affirm that answer, the right one, it's interesting how often Jesus posed questions because a lot of times people have to grow when wrestling with the question than if they just heard an answer. So this week, ask questions. How's your heart? What are you learning these days? What's life teaching you? What's going on at your work? And then just listen to people's answers. Pretty simple. Just ask questions. Another thing great listeners do, and Jesus was a master of it, they know a lot of times things can get communicated by touch that can never get communicated by words. They touch people in the right way at the right moment. Of course, there are certain political officials that touched the wrong way. Hello, right? Yeah. Sometimes just a hand on the shoulder of a friend. Or a hug for somebody you know and love can speak to them in ways words can't. Ever been to a funeral with somebody and somebody's in deep grief and they're your close friend and all you can do is just hug them or put your arm on their shoulder and you've just communicated. I'm with you. I, I feel as rotten as you do about this thing. I, I'm for you. I'm here. Didn't say a word. See, that has to be appropriate, and different cultures have different rules for touching. They've done studies on this. Did you know that? The French and the Italians touch each other on average 100 times every hour. In America, it's three times every hour. Everybody will have different rules about it, but Jesus was a master of the touch. One day, a leopard needs healing. He comes to Jesus, and nobody would touch a leper. It was against the law. I mean, Jesus could have healed him with a spoken word, but he touches him. Shocked everybody. Little children got brought to Jesus. Disciples kind of figured he's not going to have any time for them. They're going to bother the master. And Jesus rebuked them and says, no, you let those little children come to me. Then he picked them up in his arms and he put his hands on them and he blessed them. I love for Jesus to walk in our nursery and pick your kid up and bless them. And our workers need to learn to do that when they're picking up a child. You don't know what home they come from, what drama's in that home. You don't know. Bless that child. Bless that child. Don't just change a diaper. Bless them, see? Often in the Bible, how blessing is generally communicated is through the laying on of hands. Be slow to speak, be quick to listen, and all of us can do that this week. And third, be slow to anger. Try that in our culture right now. 
uh, mad is just everywhere. Anger, violence, mad. Be, I, you know, folks, there's a lot going on between the left and the right, the red and the blue, and between people with this issue and people with that issue. And I want to say to some people, chill. Dial down, dude. Get a life. Relax. You're getting so tense and wrapped up, you're going to have a heart attack and die. Forget COVID. Oh, just chill. Don't, you don't have to answer every bit of drama going on. If people want to have it, let them have it. That's not going to be part of my life. I want to live longer. So this week, be so, thank you. <laughs> I don't know who you are, but I love you. Thank you over here. All that. This week, be slow to speak. Be quick to listen. And be slow to anger. Now, it doesn't say never be angry. Jesus got angry. Scripture says be angry and sin not, right? But be slow to get angry. Why? Because when people get angry, they do dumb, stupid things. They say dumb, stupid things, and you can't get them back. See? And the angrier we get, the crazier we get. I'm not making this up. This is in Texas. A guy went on a date with a woman to a movie in Texas, and during the movie, she kept texting. And it started to tick him off. So that when the movie was over, apparently the date didn't go real well, he asked her to reimburse him for the price of the ticket because she was texting too much and he felt neglected and insulted. Well, she refused to do that, so he took her to court and sued her for $17.31. That's true, to get the price of the ticket back. She countersued over hassling her over that. Here, these two adults are in law in suits over texting during a movie. Get a life, Sparky. Take her home, suck it up, and pick somebody else to go out with. Just to be clear, texting during a movie is not a crime. Texting during my sermon is not a crime. It's a sin. <laughs> it makes Jesus really mad. But but it's not actually a crime. <laughs> yeah, don't you, aren't you glad we don't have a problem in America with anger in churches? Aren't you glad church people never wrestle with anger? James is really straightforward about this. He says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come out of your own desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have. And then the interesting phrase, so you kill. Scott McKnight is a New Testament scholar, and he says there's nothing in that passage to indicate that little phrase is meant to be metaphorical, so you kill. In the ancient world, there wasn't much in the way of law enforcement or police departments. Murder was a real problem in that day. By the way, it's a real problem in our day. We read about shootings at schools, businesses, and churches. And then sometimes people in church will think, well, we can divide the world up into People who don't kill, they're the good people. And people who do murder, they're the bad people. <laughs> Jesus actually had a lot to say about this. Uh, if you've been successful in avoiding murdering somebody, but he says, how about you that have resentment, bitterness, coldness, judgmentalism, withdrawal, lovelessness, it's got a grip on you. And you think, yeah, I'm one of the good guys. And Jesus says, no, you're a moral and spiritual train wreck, and you don't even know it. Yep. See, the process of redemption, restoration, and healing might take a long time, 
But this is a place, church, is a place where nobody's perfect, everybody's welcome, and anything's possible. We're all train wrecks apart from the grace of God. Anger is insidious to all of us. There was, there was a story a couple of years ago. You saw it and I did. It was on the news about a guy who was on a plane, United Airlines. The flight had been overbooked and he was told he had to give up his seat and get off, although he had paid for the seat and was assigned the seat and he didn't want to get off. And you saw it. And they took him off physically, bleeding, being dragged off the plane forcibly. And then Southwest Airlines came up with an ad and the slogan was, at Southwest, we beat our competition, not our passengers. <laughs> Bad publicity. So we all know people get crazy when they get angry. The only person that story, the reason that story was so big is that the viral, the, the video went viral all over the world. I mean, what if there was a video of every ugly thought you've had, every cutting word you've ever said? Yeah, like, let me pause a minute. I remember one of the Supreme Court justices, I forget the name, but he was, he was being voted on to go to the Supreme Court. And they says, in high school, you were in a fraternity and you drank and you had relationships with multiple people. And I thought, are they going to go back to my college? Are they going to go back to my fraternity? You know what I'm saying? You got a video of that? I hope not. The blood of Jesus erased it. I think it's not in the cloud either. Yeah. Oh, no. Anybody but me? Thank God for that. Yeah, as far as the east is from the best, I'll remember your sins no more. Thank God. But I mean, terrible to go back on somebody. Did you know that in that duration of what someone said 10 years ago, their whole life could have changed, their whole ideology could have changed, their heart could have changed? We don't give them credit for that. No, you be real careful. You be very careful. Have you ever said anything and then years later you learn truth and you said, I was wrong and I'm, I'm sorry I said that. I have, I have that. John Wimber once told me, he says, you're dangerous. And I said, why am I dangerous? He says, because if you hear truth and you've been preaching error, you'll admit it, correct it, delete it and do the right thing. No matter whether you're in this group or that group or this group, that makes you dangerous to a group because that means truth will make you change your mind and say, on what I did teach, I was wrong. I'm sorry. And if I find out tomorrow something I'm teaching by learning and studying is wrong, I'll repent instantly and tell you this is wrong. This is why. This is what Scripture said. You try that in politics. You even try it in denominational churches. They will crucify you. They will. So what if we said, come back next week, and we're going to take a video of your anger and show it on the screen. <laughs> no, no, no. We won't have anybody in church, all right? Forget COVID. See, God knows, and that's why James says with anger, handle it with care, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Human anger doesn't do that. Human anger makes a mess of relationships, of careers, of children. And why does, why does he qualify human anger? Well, there's another kind of anger. The Bible has a fair amount to say about God's anger. When God's angry, when there's injustice, when there's violence, when there's deceit, when children are abused and assaulted, when people are betrayed. God is not apathetic about that. God doesn't say, well, you know, that kind of thing will happen. God's anger is never vengeful. It's never raging. It's never passive aggressive. Always, always, always 
It takes the form of God seeking to bring about reconciliation and restoration. That's why the primary place we see the wonder and mystery of the anger of God is a cross. At the cross, we see God's anger towards sin and God's love for sinners. And let me pause to say this. It says that on the cross, God laid on his son, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. God satisfied his anger. He was appeased. In other words, all the anger of sinful man was, including mine, was poured out on Christ. So he was satisfied. Now, if I die without God, I will suffer judgment. But if I accept Jesus during my lifetime, Jesus is not mad at you. God is not mad at you. His wrath was satisfied on the cross. He took your sin and mine, my guilt, my shame, the wages of sin is death. He took it all from the Father, and the Father laid on him the iniquity of all. I don't know where we get this angry God. God isn't angry a bit. He was satisfied at the cross when Jesus died in your place. And now he beckons everybody in the world. Come to me safely. Come to me. I love you. I'm not mad at you. I'm already satisfied. And that that makes him appealing. But a lot of places preach God's an angry God. And I thought, no, he's not angry. He was angry, but he satisfied his wrath by pouring it out on Jesus Christ instead of me, instead of you. Oh, that's such good news. See, our anger is to work in the same way that God works. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. That's great. He's not keeping score. Our souls can be healed so we can die to the stupid way we handle anger. If you're an exploder or you're a vengeful person, ask God to help you deal with your anger this week. If you're a powder, a thumb sucker, a withdrawal, a passive-aggressive person, Ask God to help you with your anger this week. Why do you get so quick angry? I get a little touch of it on 281. (laughs) Yeah, when I think I'm all free, I just, all that construction out there, and then get caught over in the wrong lane when they've shut it down and nobody will let you in. Woo! Yeah, then I have to remember what I'm preaching here. Okay, Rick, the anger of man does not work the righteousness of God. Whoa, it just kills my flesh. So this week, slow to speak, quick to listen, slow to be angry. And James tucks in one more word into this passage, very subversive. And we tend not to notice the the strangeness of this word, but in the ancient world, it would have been picked out real clear. I'll read the verse one more time and see if you can pick up what it is. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Here's that word. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Now, why is that important? Because people in that culture and people in social science who study this thing will tell you there's a close relationship in human society between power and words. This is worth the whole message. The more power you have, the more words you tend to use. Winston Churchill was a very powerful guy. He talked a lot. He expected to be allowed to talk a lot. At dinner one time, his son-in-law was talking, and Churchill interrupted him. The son-in-law tried to jump back into what he was saying, and Churchill's immediate response was, hey, don't interrupt me while I'm interrupting. (laughs) 
He just assumed interruption was his prerogative as a powerful guy. CEOs tend to talk a lot. Rich people tend to talk a lot. Men tend to interrupt women a lot. See, people who consider themselves to be an expert on something will talk a lot, and it can be obnoxious. Have you ever been in a situation where somebody is talking and talking, and because of their position, nothing you can do about it? Nowhere you can go, nowhere to run, nowhere to hide. You're trapped. All you can do is sit there and listen while that person drones on and on until they're done. Well, you're actually there right now, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> now I'm almost done. In the ancient world, it was actually quite a bit worse than this. They had a saying in the ancient world, as is the speech, so is the life. In other words, the more important you are, the more words you're allowed to use. That's the way it worked in that world. The really subversive word James uses is let everyone be slow to speak. See, that's not the way it was in Rome or the Greek empire. Here was the rule then. Let the slave be slow to speak. Let the poor be slow to speak. Let the woman be slow to speak. Let the peasant be slow to speak. Let the rich and powerful use words a lot to enhance their honor and status. So old Jimmy comes along and says, no, there's a new community starting now, and Jesus started it. And by the way, this explains something about Jesus you might have noticed if you've read the story of the crucifixion. When Jesus was accused by the chief priest and the elders, he gave no answers. Then Pilate asked him, hey, don't you hear the testimony they're bringing against you? But Jesus made no reply, not even to a single charge, to the great amazement of the governor. Now, why is he doing that? Why do the Gospels talk about that so much? He was being silent like a sheep led to the slaughter. And they say, well, he's doing what he did his whole life. He's identifying with those who have no power, who have been marginalized. Those who have no power, and he's identifying with the weak. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor. See, though in nature he was God, he became a slave. He is the Word of God, but he became silent so there could be this new community called the church. And in this new community, there had never been anything like it. The rich, the Roman aristocrats, they were going to learn from slaves. Rich people could learn and humble themselves and listen to the poor. Men would ask questions and women would give an answer. And you have to love James. James watched his brother Jesus suffer in silence and die. And James says, we have to start a new way, a new kind of doing life together. And that's what we get to do. So this week, ask God to help you. Be quick to listen. Let everybody be quick to listen. Be slow to speak. Be slow to become angry. And then there's one more teaching James gives, and it's the most critical point. And if you miss this point, you can miss your destiny, but you can miss the presence of God. But we're out of time, so I'll have to tell you about it week after next. For more information on Summit Christian Center, visit summitsa.com.